Hi, my name is Brooke Rodriguez. I'm a Taino mother living in Matinecock territory. Mijuxis. My name is Desiree Kane. I'm a Miwok Two-Spirit. Osio. My name is Mia Beverly. I am from Sand Hill Band of Cherokee and Lenape, and welcome to First Foods. A program made by and for Indigenous people and our allies. Who are ready for a new day for old ways. First Fruits program is produced by Grinding Stone Collective in partnership with Green Feather Foundation and Her Many Voices Foundation, along with important support from community members like you. We have some protocols we'd like to go over with you. Land acknowledgement. We recognize, uphold, and respect Native nations and their life ways above all else as the ruling governance of Turtle Island and Abia Yala. Everyone attending this space must uphold the same. Native knowledge. Lessons learned are not for non-natives to monetize on or repackage as their own. Native knowledge systems belong to the cultural communities they come from and to the guest teachers in our programming. Foraging and harvesting. Always seek permission from tribal communities to forage and harvest. These medicines or foods may be seasonal or being left to replenish themselves. Also respect if the answer is no. Intertribal space. We are all from different nations and regions, so what may be odd or undesirable as food to you might be good to someone else. Respect that and don't insult or belittle. Respect tribal food, land, and medicine sovereignty. Remember that majority of foods are shared by many different tribes, but with different names. Do not try to claim exclusivity or copyright for your own people. It's okay to share the name as you know it. It is not okay to create dissent over a different name. No dissent over blood quantum or otherwise more Indianer than you fighting. Food sovereignty. First people have the rights to hunt, fish, forage, and harvest in their traditional territories. It is unacceptable to critique traditional or contemporary dietary styles as a non-native. Please put any questions that you have in the chat. The last 30 minutes of class, we often invite attendees to come on and interact with our instructors. Disclaimer, First Foods is for educational purposes only. Before using or ingesting any herb or plant for medicinal or culinary purposes, please consult a physician, medical herbalist, or suitable professional. Welcome back to First Foods. We're actually launching our second season of First Foods with um, with someone who's standing in for Brooke. Brooke is having a, 
family um, struggle right now in the middle of a pandemic. And so we've got a wonderful co-host who is joining us named Mia Beverly. I wanted to just introduce her and also say hello. And we are so welcome, welcoming to everyone and happy to have you back. Um, I want to ask if you would please put your questions for the class into the chat, because we are going to have the same format as last time. And we will have Q&A as the last half hour of the show. So we are having tonight a wonderful return of one of our most favorite and most in high demand uh, <laughs> First Foods instructors uh, teaching on the rights of nations, fishing, hunting, foraging, and storytelling with Isaac Murdoch. So with that, I will introduce Mia and she can introduce herself. You can get to know and adore her as much as we do. And uh, take it away, Mia. Ocio, thank you for having me. Um, first off, my name is Mia Beverly. Um, I am from the Sandhill Band of Cherokee Lenape. My Cherokee name is Gegage Tawodi. Uh, I currently reside in Occupy Piscataway Territory in Washington, DC, and I am the fundraising and grants director for First Foods. Um, now I'll introduce Isaac. Um, Isaac Murdoch, um, whose Ojibwe name is Mazinapkinge Agoanabe, forgive me if I said any of that wrong, um, is from the Fish Clan and is from the Serpent River First Nation. Isaac grew up in the traditional setting of hunting, fishing, and trapping. Many of these years were spent learning from elders in the northern regions of Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. Isaac is well-respected as a storyteller and traditional knowledge holder. For many years, he has led various workshops and cultural camps that focuses on the transfer of knowledge to youth. Other areas of expertise include traditional Ojibwe, paint, imagery and symbolism, harvesting, medicine walks, uh, ceremonial knowledge, cultural camps, Anishinaabe oral history, birch bark canoe making, birch bark scrolls, youth and elders workshops, and more. He has, a, he has committed his life to the preservation of Anishinaabe cultural practices and has spent years learning directly from elders. Um, now Isaac can take it away. Well, hello everybody. Thank you for the beautiful uh, introduction. Wow, that uh, that makes me sound like I'm some sort of a super super Indian. Um, <laughs> um, that's what happens when you take bio bios off the internet. Um, I'm, I wish I was that great of a person, but it's really nice to uh, to have such a great introduction. Ani bojo manzanap kinegego ana abe indijnakas. you know, I'm very happy to be here to be able to, to speak with you too. You know, give me which yaya mom p gee gnonen guk. And so basically what I said was 
my name is the man who paints the rocks. I am from uh, the fish clan. I come from my community is Gnabajing, Serpent River First Nation. And I live at a place called Nimki Ajbekong, which is north of my community. I live in the forest off grid. I'm Ojibwe, and I'm very happy to be able to speak with you Nungwa uh, today. And so I was asked to talk about moose. And I thought, well, of course I would do it because moose is our life up here. And the moose are a very sacred animal to us. And in my language, we call them moose. So it's actually not that different from moose. We just call it moose. And it's it's uh, just has a Z at the end, moose. And we grew up uh, hunting uh, moose all the time. That was our that was our life. And so moose was our main uh, meat that we would eat, and it was something that was uh, important to our diet. And so I'm going to dive into the world of moose with you, and. First off, I want to uh, just just send out prayers and offerings to Brooke and her family at this time. Um, so apparently she can't join us because, uh, you know, something's going on and, and during the pandemic. And so if we can, if we can just take a couple of minutes just to offer our prayers and our thoughts to her, to Brooke and to the family. And uh, at this time, I'm going to sing a song. And while I sing the song, let's put our heart out to, to Brooke and the family. Um, you know, the pandemic's been hard on, on all our families, and it's very real. And so I'd like to do that for Brooke. And so at this time, I'll just sing a song for, for, that, for that family. Why we are so with that, we give our, our thoughts and prayers to Brooke and, and the family. And we ask that that everything, that everything has pity on them at this time and brings them brings brings them some happiness. So Moose, okay. So when I was younger, that was a, a part of our life. So as a young child, I was told stories about the moose as a, as a baby. I remember crawling around in moose meat as a baby, big piles of moose meat. 
and they would say, oh, we got this moose here, or we got this moose there, or this moose. They would tell their hunting stories. So as, as I was growing up, I wanted to be a hunter too, because I heard all these stories about the moose. And, but before I became a hunter, I had to learn about their nation, their nationhood, their their laws. And that was really important because as Anishinaabek people, we recognize that, that the animals have laws that they follow too, and that they have their own way of life. They have their own governance on the land. And that as Anishinaabek people, we're a part of that. As Anishinaabek people, <clears throat> the animals are the leader of, of our government. And so we, we take very close attention and we study at a young age, uh, the moose nation and how they govern themselves, how they act, how they raise their young, how they fight, how do they protect themselves, how the medicines they eat, all of it we learn at a young age because that teaches us how and teaches us to know um, to live in coexistence with them. So understanding them was a big part of our education growing up. So before becoming a hunter, that's what we had to learn, the songs about the moose, the stories, the Muslim Gojing, um, the, the pictures that hang in the sky that have stories about the moose. Those, that was the education that we had growing up. And then also how to hunt them, how to respect them, how to attract them into your, into your life. And so lots of times when we go hunting, it's like it's an adoption ceremony for us because we're adopting that moose to be a part of our family, to be a part of our lives, to provide us nourishment and medicine. And we hold them in great esteem to be a part of our, our everything. And, you know, the moose is so important to us because that's how we make our clothes. That's how we make our tools. That's how we make our life. Without the moose, we would not survive. Just like on the plains, it's the buffalo. For, for me here, it's the moose. And so understanding that there's a relationship, that there's an exchange of power that takes place, that the moose will give us its power and will give us its, its life. And a moose is a big animal. It's huge. It has such a big life. And when it gives its life, it gives all of it, not just a little bit of it. So we have to use all of it. If we don't use it all, that's very disrespectful to the animal. And so we had protocols or we had, uh, I don't know what you call them in English, but we had certain things that we had to do to make sure that we respected the, the moose and how we prepared the moose. And I'm going to talk about some of those things. So, for example, um, we hunted the moose any time of year. There was, when we lived in the, way deep in the forest, like where I live now, there, there was no, there was no specific time 
when you could not go get a moose. So for us, it was all the time because that was our life. And we'd often dream about them. We would dream about the moose and the moose would dream about us. And through our dreams, we were able to connect with each other through the understanding that we were going to adopt each other and that their nourishment and their life would become a part of our life. And that's how we understood it. The moose is a very sacred animal because it eats in the swamps. It goes into the hard-to-reach places where Dinishnabe can't go. And it eats those very powerful medicines in those swamps that we can't get to. And it stores that medicine in its fat. And that medicine is in there. But moose also have big ears. Great big ears. They're like little satellite dishes. They can pick up sounds from far away. They can really, they really have good hearing. They can hear the forest. They can hear the trees talk. They can hear the songs of the birds. They can hear the, the winds, the different winds. They hear the whole world communicating with each other in Skokamakwe in the bush. They can hear that all over Matigo King, all over the land, they can hear everything talk to each other. And so Anishinaabe, when we ingest that moose, when we eat that moose, all that knowledge goes into us too. And we too can hear what is being said in the forest. So with the ears, we would singe those ears on the fire. We'd scrape them off. And we'd boil them and eat them. Because those ears, they heard everything. They heard the rocks talk. They heard the spirits that live inside the rocks. They heard them talk. The moose spend a lot of their time in the water. So they heard the, the Minabe Kweak, the mermaids. They heard them talk. They've seen and heard the Chigenebe Guk, the serpents, and also the Nimki Binesiwak, the Thunderbirds, they've heard it all. Those ears are sacred. So when we, when we prepare those ears, we offer a Sema. We offer that tobacco so that we can gain that knowledge from those ears. So that we too can, can listen. So that we too can, ha can have that, that power to be able to hear what the forest is trying to tell us. So always eat the ears. The nose is big. You'll see that nose, it's big, it hangs down. That moose's nose is always in the swamp, always digging in, those, in the water, in those medicines. And it stores all that medicine in its nose. So for us, that nose is a delicacy. So we cut the nose off like this, and we cut it out. 
And we singe it too, just like how we singe the, the ears. We singe the hair off that moose jaws, that moose nose. And then we, we cook it. And when we're sick, we rub that moose nose on our body. We rub it on us because it's all full of fat and knowledge and medicine. We rub that on ourselves because there's lots of power in that nose. And then we eat it. That's what we do. And so that's, for us, that's something that's very sacred to us. And then we, we take the eyes out. That moose has seen a lot. That moose has seen so many things. It's seen many battles. It's been in probably many battles with wolves. It's seen many medicines. Because it sticks its head in the water, it sees, it's seen a lot of things that we can't see, that we'll never see. Those eyes are sacred. So we take those eyes and I'll boil them. And I'll make sure not to be stingy with them. And I'll give one to a good friend so that they, they can eat one too. We'll each have an eye. They're big. They're about that big. They're bigger than a golf ball. That's how big those moose's eyes are. But when you eat it, you're not just ingesting the eye. You're also ingesting the memory of everything that that eye has seen. That becomes now a part of your a part of you. Then all of a sudden you go in the back of the eye and there's a lot of fat behind the eye. We take all that fat out and we eat it raw because it's just so delicious. That one I won't, I won't share with my friends. That's just for me only. I'm no, just kidding. <laughs> but we take that fat, that midday, we take that fat out and we eat it because that's nourishment. Remember the fat holds knowledge from that animal's life. So when we eat that fat, we too gain that knowledge. And we have to remember that those moose, that they... They have traditional knowledge that's passed down for thousands of generations. And unlike us, they have not been colonized. They have stuck to the original instructions on how to live with earth. So when we eat that fat, we become to understand a little more how to live in accordance to the great laws that are on the land. And then, of course, we start taking the head apart, the cheeks, everything comes off, all the meat comes off the head. And that's a very sacred thing. The head is always a delicacy in, in all of our animals. So we take that meat, we don't waste nothing off the head. We eat it, we cook it and eat it. 
right away. And then, of course, the brain. We put the brain in a special little package and we put that aside. The brain is very, very important. That brain, when you hold it, you can feel something inside your own heart. You can feel like uh, it's it's almost like a hundred internets that you have in your hand when you hold a moose brain in your hands. The internet is nothing compared to a moose brain. The internet is just a, a speck of knowledge compared to a moose brain. So we put that aside very carefully. If we get the moose in the summertime, we take something called the Eskongugum. The Eskongugum is a, the velvet off the horns. And again, that velvet, it's, it gives us energy. It gives us lots of things. So we, we cook that on a fire. And that too we eat. I mean, we'll scrape that those those antlers right clean. They'll be just almost white when we're done with them. We love that so much. That's a beautiful food. Then after we're done with that head, what we do is we grab black stones and we put them in the eyes of that moose so that it doesn't look at us. And then we take the tongue out, the last part. We put that aside separate too. That tongue is very delicious. And then all of a sudden, we start to decorate the head. We start to decorate it with, with ottoman, with paint. We honor that moose with a line like this to represent the Wabanomikan, the sacred road, the sacred path that they follow. And we tie uh, leather strips on their, uh, on their head and we hang that, that moose head back in the bush as a way to honor what the moose gave us. And that's, that's a very sacred thing. And I remember hearing stories, you know, to honor that adoption of that moose becoming a part of our family, to live with us, to, to provide us medicine, medicine and nourishment in life. That, that medicine and that nourishment, that knowledge, it lasts with us forever. It's a forever thing. So we, we, we appreciate that so much, we honor that head and we face it in a certain direction, in a tree. That's, that's what we do. Then we start working on the guts. The guts, we take the, the, the stomach lining out. We take the stomach out. We take all of the intestines out, all of the organs that are down below. We take them all out. 
the heart, the, the lungs, everything we take out. We like to eat the lungs because that's a breath of life. That moose, when it takes a breath, it takes a deep breath. When it runs, it needs that deep breath to run fast. So we know there's a lot of the power of when the air is inside that moose in his lungs. So we eat that. And it gives us the power of Nesewen. And then the heart, beautiful thing, a moose heart. It's a bundle. It's a sacred bundle. It's very powerful. There's three um, pockets in a bundle in that moose's heart. And so we carefully take the fat off that heart and we put that aside too, very special. And we eat that heart we shared with our old people. Same with the tongue. Then we take the, the there's a, a web of fat around the stomach. We hang that in a tree to dry. And that fat, when you want to cook something, you just take a little piece off, you throw it in your, in your, pot, in your pan or your soup, and you automatically got fat there. It's already made. That's a beautiful fat that goes around the stomach. We would never throw that out. That's like throwing away a million dollars. You don't want to throw away a million dollars. So we keep that. And that's what that's our fat. Then we go into the stomach itself. You know, the stomach is... Uh, the stomach lining. Um, I don't know what they call it in Eng English. Uh, does anybody know what the stomach lining is called on an animal when you eat it? There's a word for it. The stomach. Uh, I forget. I forget what it's called in English. But anyway, we take that lining and there's two of them. There's one big one and there's a smaller there's a smaller stomach there. Well, we cut that smaller stomach off of the big one. Tripe, that's the word. Tripe. But anyway, we take that small stomach and that's what we put the heart in because it fits perfectly in there. Then we put a stick through that to, to, to fasten it together. Then we wash all of that, that stomach, that uh, tripe, and we wash it in the water or in the swamp. We really wash it good. It stinks. It stinks, but it, but I don't know what it is. Once you, once you boil it, it even stinks when you're cooking it. But once you take that first bite, there's no way you can stop. It's just one of those things. You just got to have more and more and more of it. We call it omao. Omao is what it's called. It's delicious. 
Then we go to the the intestines. There's these guts in there that we clean out. We call that tagasi. And we wash them out and we put them aside separate for later. We have lots of little things we put aside for later. Then we go to the the private parts and we we take them out. Those are sacred things. You know, when I was a boy, a little boy, my, there was, somebody had killed a, a bull moose. And, uh, of course, they, they took the male genitals off that moose and they, uh, they were cooking them. And they uh, cooked them in a, in a bread pan on a fire. And I was I was working in the bush, and I must have been about I don't know I was maybe a young teenager. And I seen that there, and I thought it was for me. So I ate all of it. And uh, the the old, my grandmother started laughing after she said, "Where did that go?" I said, "I ate it all." She says, oh, my goodness, that was, a, that was for a, a special guest we're having. I said, I didn't know. So after that, they called me, um, well, the, the Indian, the name means a, a moose uh, thing. Moose <laughs> Pajagan. That's what they used to call me after that. So that was my, my uh, nickname, Moose Pajagan. It means a moose thingy because I ate the whole thing, and uh, the the name stuck. Um, they they weren't mad at me, but uh, but that's what we used to eat too. And then of course we take the, you know, we take the the legs apart. All the muscles come apart. Every single muscle on that moose, except the ribs. They, we take them apart. We separate each muscle. And sometimes if it's cold, if it's wintertime, we'll freeze them like that. Or if it's summertime, we separate them. And then we, we clean the outside of those with our knives. We take the sinew off of them. And we, we make our dry meat out of them. And we'll hang them and we'll smoke them with manzat, which is a type of a tree. And we smoke them for many days. We'll smoke that whole moose, even the calf muscles. We'll divide them and we'll hang them. They look like this. We'll hang them on there. And they'll dry and they'll be hard as rock. But when you cook them, you got to get an axe and you chop them up. And when you boil them, they're just a beautiful, beautiful thing to eat. So that's what we smoke the moose like that. And then we take all the fat off the back. And we call that, we make a zasiganak out of that fat. That zasiganak, we will get all that fat and we'll cut it into cubes, little cubes about this big. We throw it in there and we start to... Uh, to render that fat down and we make 
lard out of it. And again, that lard is good because in the wintertime, you can put that on your face so you don't get wind burning when you're trapping. You put that mousse, that mousse made on your face uh, in May when the bugs are bad, those little black flies, they'll, they're not going to be able to get through your, that fat. And we mix that that fat with uh, with clay. And we rub that clay and that fat on our face when, we're, when I'm getting my, in the springtime. And it, there's nothing that can get into my skin. You could have all the mosquitoes and all the bugs in the whole world. And they'll, they'll never be able to get through that. Then, of course, we, we'll take the ribs, we'll eat the ribs. And then the feet. We'll take those, those moose feet and we'll take the bones out of them. We'll take the bones right out of those, those hooves. And we'll make uh, games out of those bones. And there's even an awl in there, like an awl for making holes in baskets and canoes and stuff. We call that magons. We take that bone out because it's a perfect bone. And then we take some of the leg bones, we make our tools out of them. And then that hoof, what, once all the, the bones are taken out, we singe it. And that, 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 that hoof comes off of there. And we scrape it and we wash it and we boil it with some uh, maple syrup. And we'll boil that thing for the whole day, from morning till night. And then you'll let it rest overnight. And that's the most delicious thing you'll ever eat. It's delicious. Nothing on that moose goes to waste. The kidneys, all the fat around the kidneys, that fat, it makes a grease. It doesn't make a lard. So in different parts of the moose, you know what, how that fat is going to turn into when you render it down, if it's going to be grease or if it's going to be thick lard. So we ate everything. And then with that large intestine, with the dry meat, we used to make, uh, we used to pound that dry meat and we used to shove it in that large intestine and we used to smoke it. And that's what we used to call tagasi. And we used to eat that with zasiganak. That's, that's what I, that's how I grew up like that eating that and of course we made our tools out of out of the moose i just happen to have some with me right now this here this all is the magons it's you, there's two of them on each front leg when I'm making my baskets, that's what I'm making my holes with. When I'm doing my canoe, that's what I'm making my holes in the canoe, in the birch bark. 
This is called Magus. I mean, there's other names. There's other dialects too. But that's what I know it as. That's it right there. See how sharp that is? That's very sharp. You know, when I was a teenager, I used to carry one around with me in case anybody would try to get tough. But I never had to use it, though. <laughs> but that's a magos. That's a tool that we use. This is another tool here. You see that? That's a bone, a leg bone. And this is sharp. Listen. And that's what we use when we're scraping our hide. And that's very sharp. And you have those little edges on there because that's what grabs the meat. If you don't have those little lines, I'll put it against my face so you can see it better. <laughs> So you see how those lines are on there? That's so that it grabs the flesh when you're when you're flushing it. Again, this bone just carried that moose. It carried that moose for its entire life. It carried a lot. And so we know that this is very powerful. This has a spirit. This is another one. So you see, I put my little grooves here for my fingers like this. And if I was looking like this, I'm scraping down on the hide at certain spots. It's sharp too, listen. So I'm using this all the time, scraping, scraping. This is to soften the hide. This breaks up the membranes in the hide. That's also made out of the leg bone. Then you have this right here. Another one. Again, that's for scraping the, the hide. You know, one time, there was two of these, the same kind that were sitting there. They were made from two different moose. They were made from, a, one was made from a cow, the other one was made from a bull. They were both hanging there. And people heard them talking to each other in Anishinaabemo and in the language. People heard them talking back and forth to each other. These things are, they have a spirit in them. And then of course, what we make is this. This is our hide. So we use those tools to make this.
know if you can see it or not. It's huge, Isaac. Wow. It's huge. It's like I'm standing on the bed. You see my feet? Yeah. And I got my arms up. Wow. Is it soft? That's the height. Yeah, it's soft. That's soft. That's what you make, uh, you know, moccasins or gloves, your clothes, your meek note, <laughs> your pants, if you want to. And so that's a, uh, so you, you preserve the hide. You don't want to waste it. You smoke the hide. It makes it waterproof. It also keeps the bugs out of them. You don't want to have bugs in your hide. That's like having bugs in your hair. You want to have bugs in your hair. So you smoke it. And when it gets wet, it's not, it makes it more waterproof. And so we use the hide. We use everything on the moose because that's our relative. We get so much knowledge from them. You know, we get so much from them. We get everything from them. So when we go hunting, we're really going, we're going for an adoption ceremony. That's how I see it in my mind like an adoption ceremony because they become a part of our life. They come up, they come a part of our everything. We have lots of stories about them. They have their own sacred council meetings. They decide which ones are going to go give their lives to the people. They have their own songs. They have their own medicines that they pick. They have their own trails. And as Anishinaabek, we're so honored to be a guest in their home, to be a guest in their with their with their nation. And so when we adopt them, we take it very serious. When we adopt them to become a part of our lives. And so we always honor them with their songs. You know, we have medicines that we, we learned from them. We have prayers that we learned from them. Sometimes those moose raised our children when they were orphaned during war. Those moose, that moose nation, I'm proud to say is a great, great part of my family. It's such an honor and a privilege to be able to live amongst them here in the forest. I seen one just the other day, just down the road, maybe not even far from my house, maybe about a two minute walk. You know, I love them. That's how I see them. I, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> but well, when we're talking about, about eating, yeah. 
Um, we do have a question, <clears throat> excuse me, out of the chat, if you are open to questions. Okay, I can go into the chat and answer some of the questions. Well, sure. Uh, we have some folks who are wondering when you were showing off the moose pelt, is that with the outer membrane of the skin on or off? And which wood do you use to smoke it? We use the cedar wood for anti-bug properties. Um, I, yeah, you take the membrane off. And so that's really important. So when you're doing the flush side, you flush it with this until you can see little, little dots come out. You see little black dots, they, they look like freckles. Now here's, here's an old Indian thing. Maybe I shouldn't say it, but I'll say it anyway. That those little dots that come out in that hide when you're scraping it, you'll see them little black dots that come out. They're sacred. Those are medicine dots. And you'll see things in those dots. You'll see constellations in those dots. So when you take that membrane off, those things, something becomes revealed to you. It'll give you messages about maybe the future or something like that. Everything is sacred with the moose, even, even flushing the moose. But yes, you take that off because you have to have it off or it's not going to soften up. And you smoke it. There's many things you can smoke it with. I use a, a, like a, a really punky. Uh, I look for a great big jingwok, like a white pine, an old one that has already fallen down. And I dig inside the ground and those roots are all red. And that's what I used to smoke the, the moose with. You can also use manzat. You can also use different uh, things. Uh, manzat is like a, um, a black poplar. The jingwok is a white pine. So different smoke gives you different colors and different... Uh, uh, there's reasons why you'd use one over the other. It depends on what kind of hide you want, what color you want it to be, and so forth. Um, you have to be careful that, and it has to be a rotten wood or a, like a bark from a rotten tree, manzat, off that black poplar. But it can't be wet. If, it's, if that stuff that you're using is wet, it'll, it can, uh, it'll make turn the, the hide hard and really dark and crispy. So there is, you have to make sure you pick your things right. You have to take your time and pick your things right. You know, put your tobacco down, you know, and all that. And remember when you're, that smoke is smoking, when that, when that hide is being smoked, you know, all of the prayers that that moose had in its lifetime are going up into the spirit world. 
They're being reiterated. They're, this, the whole story of that moose is being told to the stars, to the sky, to the spirits. And so it's a beautiful thing. The whole thing is a beautiful thing. I wish, I wish more of our people would, would respect um, the animals like how they used to. Um, any other questions? I miss where you get the lard from, the moose, to protect you from the bugs. That's the thick lard on the bum. Go on the moose's bum. You turn that lard into zasiganak. You render it down into lard. and But you got to mix that uh, that fat with a clay. And uh, wabgun is what they call that clay. And you mix it together, you cook it. And once it cools down, you put that on your face. Or sometimes if you, you know, look at me. Look at my, it's hard to know what to do on the computer to show you, but look at this, all this hair is falling out now. Even on the back of my head, look. I'm going bald, I'm getting old. That bald spot there, you put that on there. Because the bugs are always going to want to be on there all the time. Or if you have a crest, if you have a line in your hair, put that on that line so those bugs don't go in there and bug, bug it all the time. Um, so that's where you'd get the, that lard from. Because it's thick, it'll stay like lard. You don't want to use that lard like to oil your gun or anything. You know, because it's too thick, it'll freeze up in the wintertime. You won't be able to, your, you won't have no, no bang to your shot. It'll just go click. Your firing pin will be so slow, it won't be able to activate that bullet. But it's also a good medicine. You know, so I, I take that, that moose fat and I take that gowan duck bigue, that spruce gum. I cook them together. And I strain it, and I and I put that all over my body, so I get those that sap and, and that fat that goes into my body. I'll show you. I always have it beside my bed because it, I put it on myself. When I wake up in the morning and before I go to bed. This is it. it smells like uh, tree gum. It smells very beautiful. And it's made out of that fat. It's not grease because it's that, that lard on the back there. It, does, it turns into lard. It doesn't turn into grease at room temperature. So you have to know which kind of fat you're going to use for your medicines, if it's going to be greasy or if it's going to be lardy. But that's what I, I use all the time. If I have to go speak somewhere important or if I have 
if I have to go see old people or if I have to make a speech to my people or something, I'll rub that all over my face and my hair. And then I'll even grab a spoon and I'll eat it. Just a spoonful. So that I'll know what to say when I get there. All that, all that stuff will be in my mouth. So when I get there, I'll know what to say. That's a good thing to do. The bone marrow. We take the bone marrow. We call that weenie. We take that weenie. It sounds funny. <laughs> we take that weenie and we, uh, we make a grease out of it and we use that in our, in our ceremonies all the time. The spirits love eating that. And if there's any leftover... We put that on our, we keep that for our own selves. That's also a strong medicine, that weenie, that bone medicine. But that's, that, that's what I know. Um, is there any other questions? Talking about nits, I think I have nits now. Look, I'm just scratching my head. <laughs> yeah. Um, we do have a question. It is from Russ. He asks, Isaac, are the younger people in your community as enthusiastic about eating moose and all the other things you do slash make from the animal? Or have you noticed a lessening of interest in this tradition? Uh, well, I mean, in a way I was lucky because um, and I remember uh, the first, the first time that I I did this um, this talk with you. Remember, I was crying about the whole being taken away by the Indian agents, and I had a little cry here on here. Um, but when I was younger, I was taken away by the Indian agents. We weren't allowed to live with our parents because this knowledge was considered to be pagan, and we were known as the Indian problem, which is a free roaming people. We had our language. We had our government, we had our laws, we had our healthcare system, we had our education system, we had everything. We had our own economy on the land. For us, there is no difference between ecology and economy. And so that was the Indian problem to the government because it was going to be us who was going to resist resource extraction, the mining the deforestation, all of those things, because our core beliefs and our core values were deeply rooted inside of the land. You know, Wesiwag, the animals, Gigawag, the fish, Benesiwag, the birds, Minwa Nesiwin, the, the, the airs, the winds, Nebe, the water, we know that by taking us out of the land that they're going to try to destroy everything. So they had to remove us. We weren't allowed to live with our parents. So I was lucky. I was able to go back to my, my parents when I was 10 years old. And uh, there was a bargain made. Uh, with my mother and the Indian Affairs agents, 
and she had to get a um I forget that word is when you when you're not allowed to have any more babies. Uh does anybody know what that word is? Sterilized. Oh yeah, sterilized. She had to get sterilized. That was part of the deal for her to get us back. So she had no choice. And I went to go live in the bush. And I never went back to school. And so I was lucky to be able to live in the bush and eat these things like that. But now a lot of things have changed, you know, since the 1970s. You know, so now, you know, the globalization of Western education has been wiping out indigenous knowledges all over the earth. And the Indian Act systems keep people off the land, forced into colonial institutions or, or societies. And they, of course, keep us dependent on programs and services and, and also tapped into consumerism so that it's hard for us to go back to the land. And so our young people today, they don't have the same opportunity because of the government strategy to remove the Indian problem, which was to educate them, make them, try to fix them, make them like them, to be to participate in the world global econ economy and just completely separate them from the land or take away the language, everything, so they'll never go back. And now our young people are held hostage in these colonial systems, and these systems that are not producing a, a sustainable economy, that's not uh, teaching the higher learning that's required to live on these lands in a balanced and good way. And so the answer is no. The young people are are being forced into these schools and not on the land anymore. It's not right. It's not right at all. You know, you know, what's happening is not right. We have to go back and we have to listen to what the elders are telling us. That's our, that, for us, that's our education system out there. That's what I believe anyway. But you know what? There is a resurgent, though. A lot of young people want to, to do these things. They want to do it. But the thing is, is that everything's a program now. Everything's a service. It's not like how it was when I was younger. We were free, just roaming around, living like this. Now everything is done through a program or a service. I don't like that. I don't like that either. I wish we could just go back to how it was. That's and we need to, and we're going to. <laughs> That's what I think, anyway. Yeah. Good question. Yeah, that's um, that's such an interesting question that, for a lot of reasons, mostly because First Foods, Brooke and I started doing these classes because we noticed that there was like 
there are younger people who like desperately want to learn, but not a lot of ways to actually access people who will teach you what to do with moose fat for bug repellent. <laughs> it's it's a wonderful that you are so generous in teaching that. Um, it's also really difficult with the pandemic to just have access to ask questions, you know? So thank you. Mia, did you have any questions for Isaac? Yeah. Yeah, I actually, thank you so much for that presentation. I, like everything about it was like the way you went through all parts of the moose, it was very poetic in every single story. Um, but I was wondering, and this is kind of based off of a question I saw from us, but um, uh, I'm wondering if there's any maybe threats to the moose population where you are. Um, Russ mentioned that there was um, an issue of, uh, I believe, ticks. So I'm wondering if there's anything that makes it challenging to um, uh, like hunt for moose there. Yeah, so there's, there's two epidemics that are happening in the forest right now, roads and four-wheelers. And because of the, the deforestation, the more people are getting access into areas where there's moose and because they have four wheelers, they're able to get in there and there's lots of, uh, they kill lots of moose now and everybody, everybody, everybody feels they have a right to kill a moose. And I don't believe in the rights based agenda that we have. That's our right. We have a responsibility to our, a relative there's a big difference and so ensuring that the lands and waters are protected for our relatives is important they kept us alive if it wasn't for them we wouldn't be here you know at the very least we can protect their lands protect their stories protect their songs protect their their way of life so as Anishinaabek, we have a huge responsibility to protect those lands. And, it, and sometimes that means that we have to be warriors to do that. That's, that's how I think. It's not right to sit, just sit there and watch. You know, it breaks my heart to see what's happening. It's not right what's going on. It's not just the moose, it's everything. And so, you know, for me, um, you know, I choose to protect our lands. I'm still, I'm still young enough. I'm not, maybe I'm going through my second childhood or whatever it's called, um, but I'm still young enough to protect our lands. You know, I'll do that until I can't do it no more. Because that's the right thing to do. Because they gave us so much. They gave us so much medicine in life. I can't just turn my back on them now. Because they gave me, they gave me everything. And so protecting the land is part of our responsibility, I believe, as Indigenous people. 
You know, that's that's what I think. We owe it to them now. And so I I always tell people, you know, go go to the land when you can, or if you can find a way, and and protect it. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. And when they come and they take you away, get somebody to take your place. But we never surrender. We never surrender. Those are our relatives. That's our family. Yeah. It's a really thoughtful commentary. I watched a documentary um, just recently about the oceans, and there was a really amazing analogy about how these systems have so many moving parts, and it's almost like Earth, you know, take it Earth ship for whatever you want to do with that. But Earth, if you think about it as a ship, we're we're killing off the important crew, you know. So we as humans we need the crew, the system. So I appreciate that you're looking at what are the rights of other nations beyond humans and looking at it in that way too, that we have to protect. Um, we have a question from Kyle. Kyle, would you like to come on and ask? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, my name is Kyle, and I'm from the community of Shiprock, Shiprock, New Mexico, Shiprock, Navajo Nation. And I just appreciate your story, Isaac. It's very powerful, and I feel that it's amazing just how you and your tribe have major respect for animals and acknowledging the resources. And just everything that you have mentioned is so sacred and knowledgeable. And I feel that I am in. I highly agree with you that with um, outdoor recreation, that it, it does destroy the land. It does provide um, deforestation. And I'm very much aware that with tribal communities to uplift their economic development, um, they very much look towards um, ecotourism. And I don't necessarily agree with ecotourism because we're just catering to outsiders to these visitors and they just they just put a dollar value to our culture and our knowledge and that's that's not right and so i just feel that the real currency or as you mentioned lad our our indigenous people we had our own way of living our own way of sustaining and as of now we're we're just surviving and it's just very tragic and so i just wanted to share with you that I appreciate your words, your wisdom, your knowledge, and even your, your song and prayer. I can't. And um, as there's still daylight over here, I'm about to make my way down to the farm, actually. And so I just wanted to get a quick few words and just say thank you and thank you to everybody. Give me a good way in. Thank you very much. So I do want to thank everybody for taking the time to to be here and to to listen to listen I guess and be a part of this. It's a, always an honor to be invited to be on here and uh, you know I always believe that 
when we when we lift each other up, when we empower each other, when we find the good in each other, and you know we work for something, and when when we're for something and not against something, we become very powerful at that point. And you know when you're for something good, when you're for the water, it's different than being against nuclear waste or a nuclear plant. And when you're for the moose, when you're for the animals, the Wasiwag, we can become a force of nature because us too are connected and tied into that. And so, you know, keep lifting each other up, keep, keep supporting each other and just keep going. We're going to win. It's just going to take a little bit. <laughs> so with that, I want to thank everybody. I'm going to sing a little song before I go. This is a moose song that was passed down to me. And I want to sing this to honor the spirit of the moose. Because I don't like talking about it and showing these bones. This is, these are the bones of our ancestors. They're in there somewhere. So I don't want to just sit there and talk about them and not honor them. That wouldn't be right. So I want to I want to sing a song that honors our relatives, the moose. This is a moose song. Way I hey way hey way hey way 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 so with that, thank you everybody. Keep safe. Um, you know, keep praying and keep keep positive things going. Don't let the negative things uh, interfere with with the good things. And so with that, I want to thank you. Thanks, First Foods, for, for inviting me again. And I, I imagine I'll be on again to talk about something or other one of these days. But uh, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure and always an honor. And Mia, you did a very good job. Thank you so much. And keep up the good work to everybody. Nahao miigwech. Bamapi. Meanwhile, guapmen. Nahao. Thank you so much, Isaac. And thank you everyone for coming back to our wonderful launch and of our second year of First Foods. Last year, we really sprung up out of the ground. We spent a long time watering the seedlings. And now we've spent this last three months um, preparing, I'm sorry, four months, this whole quarter, preparing for the programming for this, the following um, months until December. So we're really excited to have you back. There's been some big um, updates with First Foods. We got a fiscal agent with Her Many Voices Foundation and are actually on our way to becoming our very own nonprofit. If you like what you see, 
want to support us, please consider doing so. It is now tax. Uh, you could get a write-off on your taxes if that's your thing. Um, so with that, just thank you so much. Mia, you did do a great job. We'll see you next week. Make sure you tell your friends. Please register on our Facebook. You can go see the registration link if you need it. So thank you from us. Thank you from Grinding Stone Collective, from Her Many Voices Foundation, and Ibex Puppetry, uh, who provide the support to make this happen. With that, good night, everyone. See you next week. Bye. Bye, Manishi. Bye.